listeners, welcome back. It's Megan here again with my yoga audio, and I'm your host. And I hope you've enjoyed the last couple of weeks of our book reading from my husband, Richard Morgan, and his published book from 2010 called Naria. So we're back now here in the month of May with another guest. And Rydell Painter is our guest today on Maya. He's the chief network engineer for the government of Bermuda, but more importantly, he's also a cancer survivor, a proud father, husband, and my big brother. He's a community activist making a difference as a speaker, volunteer, and mentor for the Bermuda Diabetes Association and a prostate awareness group that provides support for men and their families by promoting men's health initiatives and helping those that are underinsured or without insurance to receive screening and assistance with treatment. So yes, you might've noticed I'm continuing the family conversations this month. Last month, you met our sister, Cecilia, and today you have the honor of meeting Rydell. You'll note if you already listened to the other interview that running sophisticated networks and IT operations is a skill and a gift that both my siblings have. And alas, I do not. <laughs> but today, the conversation with Rydell and I, we're going to have um, will more revolve around our personal connection and relationship than the work listed on our resumes or on LinkedIn. And he'll be sharing more about his life journey thus far and how he's helping to make a difference, not just in our family's lives, but in the lives of many others too. Rydell, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, my love. <laughs> <laughs> he's here and I'm so excited. He's got such a great smile. He's uh, If you're watching us on YouTube, you'll note his New York Giants background. <laughs> he's a big fan of the New York Giants. Absolutely. <laughs> Rydell, yeah. I wondered, I mean, I've kind of read this intro about you, but I'm wondering if you would introduce yourself to our listeners and how you would define who you are in the world right now. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, basically, you said it all, so I guess end the interview. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm a very passionate person. I'm a person that loves to help others. I've always been like that. I, uh, my, my journey has been not your plain old vanilla picket fence uh, dog and everything else. I've, I've had some, some challenges in my life. I've had a lot of good things happen in my life, but I've also had some good people in my life. And, um, the, one of the biggest joys of my life was actually meeting both of my sisters, uh, at separate times. Um, I met, um, Cece when she and Kurt were at Wesleyan and I met you a couple years later and, and Bermuda. So it, it was, it was, a uh, big part of my life and it was something that you know because we do have we did have a an elder brother and he passed away uh when i was six months old in an in unfortunate accident in at the house next door so um there have been a lot of like trials and tribulations and 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 i guess if i had one thing to say is that you don't have to let your uh your surroundings be what you are about just because you had, uh, you know, you had bad things happen, you don't have to be continue the circle. You can find, get help, get support, get get somebody to help you. And if you're strong enough to do it yourself, 
break the circles. And, and if you see something, you, you inherently as a human, you know what is right and wrong. If you're doing something wrong or something wrong is happening to you, speak up and try to, to make a difference, you know? And, and I think that's one of the things that I, I more or less pride myself is not to sit down and go back and lick my wounds and, and blame the world. You know, I just try to sit down and say, okay, these are the hands, these are the cards that I've been dealt with and, and let's try to play them as, as good as I can. Yeah. I wonder if you would share with with me and with our listeners about what it was like for you growing up in Bermuda and for some time, I think in England, like you went to school there, um, yeah. some of your core memories and experiences. For listeners, just to give you a little bit of background, um, Rydell, like Cecilia and I, Rydell and I did not grow up together and I didn't meet him in person until I was 22. Uh, chance and surprise meeting, um, which was definitely one of my core memories, even at the age of 22. Um, so I'd love for listeners, whenever I try to explain to people where Bermuda is, they always inevitably think it's in the Caribbean, <laughs> which it's not. Um, it's north of the Bahamas, about 350 miles east of South Carolina. Um, but yeah, I'm just more curious about your your experiences growing up, some of the things that kind of helped define who you are and the man you are today. Okay, so growing up in Bermuda was was kind of was was different. From the the main thing is that I I did I I went to school in Bermuda. So based my let me start over. Sorry, okay. I was brought up by my grandparents, my my mother's my mother's mother and 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 father and so that was my mother and my daddy uh, my mom was in my life but she was not in my life she wasn't close she was more she was more like a sister than uh, a mother whereas my grandmother was my mother so she was my everything she was great to me she done a lot of things she she like you know i talk and even today even in today uh, even though she's been going quite a number of years, I, if something comes up and say, no, not being this grandson, that's not going to happen. So I, I, I exult my grandmother. She done a wonderful job and my grandfather as well. When I was at three years old, actually, I spent my third birthday in New York with my aunt. So I, I've been, I'm uh, a person that was raised by a village. So mm -hmm. the person in New York was not my biological aunt. But she was an aunt. She was older than me. We were, I was brought up to respect. So it was you. Everybody was uncle, so or aunt, this person, mm -hmm. and everything else. So Aunt Minnie had come to Bermuda, and and she, I can't remember how she met up with my grandmother, but she ended up staying in our house, and she became a, a lifelong person. And she was a person, that, another person that was instrumental. So I grew up in Bermuda. I went to school in Bermuda, but for every vacation every summer vacation every winter vacation as well as depending on how easter came out if you like you had one or two weeks at easter break i was always in new york so i did my growing up in new york but i went to school in bermuda but bermuda is a, a very uh it used to be very tranquil it's, it's a beautiful place definitely the beauty has not has not gone anywhere but we've we got caught up in the 20th century with uh, YouTube and TV shows and everything else. So Bermuda is becoming a small city type of thing. Mm -hmm. Only 65,000 people. Um, 
nine parishes. Um, wonderful place. Uh, education is a big burn of contention these days, particularly in Bermuda. But uh, where isn't it? Uh, uh, a problem? <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, Bermuda. Bermuda was great. I, I and I had the I had the privilege of growing up on a on a farm. So my uncle had horses. Uh, so I learned how to deal with animals at an early age, and I, you know, I did a lot of horseback riding. Uh, we had cows, pigs. So I had to learn how to muck out stables, feeding and cleaning, grooming, and various other things. And my uncle just passed uh, in February, and uh, we had a, a good send-off for him. So it's, yeah, it's been a growing up in Bermuda was is good. Um, the other part, when you're talking about my English experience, I spent approximately five to six years in. England through cable and wireless. That that's my my first my my second employee. Uh, my first employee was 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 my grandfather. He did I, he did um, construction, and I was uh, a mason a helper, and so I learned a lot of things. I was always good with my hands, and I and wanted to work with my hands and everything else. So uh, I was uh, pretty smart academically. I liked electronics and stuff like that. So I ended up in the telecommunications field. So I did uh, in I did eighteen and a half years of cable and wireless. In that eighteen and a half years, I did one and a half one year, actually almost one and three quarters years in in England at the training college at Porthcurno in Cornwall, and then I did uh, another that was in eighty eighty two to April eighty two to December eighty three, and then in eighty. I want to say February, I went to London for six months, a place called Chelmsford, which is 60 miles outside of London, east of London. And then I did another six months down in at the same Cable and Wireless College for my advanced course. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time and, and I've also been on other different service manager courses and various other things in the UK. So I, I've had a uh, lot of experiences up there, um, you know, some good, some bad, uh, you know, it's, it's just like anything in life, you know, it's what you make of it and how you, how you tend to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I've had a lot of experiences. So talking about the New York Giants, because I've spent so much time <laughs> in New York, I, 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 I'm, I actually consider myself a, a new New Yorker. My aunt had, um, had foster children and who I consider my brothers and sisters because I actually grew up with them. And, uh, you know, one, um, Jerome, uh, the youngest brother, who ironically has had the same birthday as, as, as Sheena, my wife, he passed away, uh, two years ago. But, um, we all keep in contact. We're still very close. And so all of my teams are New York teams, as, as your husband and I <laughs> share the same love for the New York Giants. And sometimes it's hard to love them, but that's our team. Um, New York Knicks, uh, they're having good a good basketball season. I'm following them again, and the Yankees, and hey, you know, so lots of experiences, lots of things, and some things that I can and can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's it, it all we are the sum of our experiences, and I, and I've been fortunate enough to have had a, a, a varied uh, amount of experiences, and I think that I try to pull. The best from all those things and that's what has made me the type of person that i am today yeah this um i wanted to return to the concept of home i know in terms of my relationship with bermuda i have very vague memories of being there when i was i think about four or five years old mm -hmm. when i um 
went with, and I too was raised by my grandparents. I think most um, readers know that or listeners know that about me. So we have that in common too, that mm-hmm. we were each raised by our, our grandparents, but not knowing due to <laughs> family secrets, miscommunications, I didn't mm-hmm. know about you mm-hmm. until I turned 21 and mm-hmm. then decided to book a trip to Bermuda to try to figure out where, where this part of my family was and, and who was, who was there. And I was misinformed that you were um, still living possibly in the, in the UK at the Mm -hmm. time. So I did not, the only person that I was aware of was our uncle who has, Mm -hmm. has since passed away. But at the time, and it's a weird twist of fate, my college roommate's boyfriend was from Bermuda and we were sitting and talking one day and I mentioned the name of our uncle. And he said, oh, that name sounds familiar to me. He's like, I'm going to ask my daddy if he knows this guy. And it turns out his dad knew our uncle. Mm-hmm. So he went home to Bermuda on a visit, got our uncle's um, address and phone number, <laughs> wrote it down on a piece of paper, brought it back to Canada, to Ottawa, where I was living at the time. and gave it to me. He said, if you ever go to Bermuda or if you ever want to call this number, this is your uncle. So Richard and I, we were, weren't, we decided to get married while we were in Bermuda, but we had booked this trip to find our family. Mm-hmm. So I had this phone number and address of our uncle get there. And I'm, we were there for 10 days and I'm calling and calling and calling every day. And the phone would just ring and ring. Didn't have an answering machine. I was like, I don't know how to find this person. So it was like our second or third last day. It was like day seven or eight. Mm-hmm. We finally just went to the address and started wandering up and down the street trying to find the house. And I didn't know what I was going to do, leave a note or whatever, and ran into this man who said, who are you looking for? He could tell we weren't from there. And he said, well, that's my my daughter. Your uncle is married to my daughter. He said, they're at work. Like, this is why they're not answering your call. Mm-hmm. He gave us the address of um, our aunt's workplace. We went down there and it was just literally like, bang, 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 everything happened all at once. And we were like mm-hmm. hugging in the street and it was like, what's, what's going on? She said, I'm going to call the family. We're going to all get together tonight. So in my mind, up until that point, it was this one aunt and uncle. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I guess maybe there's some cousins or they, like, I didn't know anything. And so that night, my recollection is just being at their house and people kept walking in and this is your cousin and this is your other uncle. And this is and I remember so distinctly you walking in and I was like, oh, are you another uncle? I don't know. That. And you were like, no, nah, baby, I'm your big brother. And we just both burst into tears. And I was like, what? Like my mind couldn't even, there's a great picture. And I think Richard took it of us when you mm-hmm. said that to me. And we just instantly like grabbed one another and started, um, you know, hugging and crying. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we're both welling up. Yeah. Know, yeah, nah, it, it, it was, it, like you say, it was fake. And it was ironic because, um, you know, knowing the, knowing our aunt at the time, the just, uh, I could, I'll tell the listeners that why I was thought of being yet another uncle was because the painter side of our family have are very uh, quiet and having, we're not big stick out type of people. Our grandfather, um, Percy Painter was a, a celebrity in Bermuda and he was a part of uh, different bands and he was on radio and TV. Uh, our father, Ronald, was uh, 
primarily a bartender and an ambassador to Bermuda. The uncle that you're talking about used to be in the, um, I think, Esso Steel Bin. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you were meeting aunts and cousins and everything else, it was not on the painter side. It was on the Simmons side. It was on her mm-hmm. side of the family. So I, it was, I guess, uh, after talking about it with you, it was meant when I came, you just thought, you just assumed that it was just another Simmons type of person. Mm-hmm. No, it was actually on the on my father's side. And it was like, wow, because, it, you know, it after going to New York and uh, going to New York and riding, driving up to Connecticut and meeting, meeting, um, CC and, and, and Kurt, it was kind of like, you know, I said, I've got to make it my mission. We have to reach out to 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 Megan. We, we all knew about you and everything else and everything else, but we just didn't know how to contact you. Um, uh, again, miscommunication and family things, which we don't have to go into. But, you know, it's 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 funny. The thing that that really pissed me off, for lack of a better expression, about this family quietness and secretness is the fact that. I did not know about Cece until our grandmother passed away, our grandma Ruth. I found out about her for the first time. And she was actually living in Bermuda and, and, and you know, going to school and everything else. And she grew up in New York. Her, being a believer of, of faith and the universe and all the rest of those type of things, I got kind of pissed off and really moved bad about the fact that I could have been running the streets in New York and bumped into my sister and started to hit her up and, you know, <laughs> we go out and everything else and it could end up, you know, that's the type of things that you, that, that, that I, that I think about. And that's why I try to be as open book as possible with all my children, with everything else, with my prostate cancer journey, with everything, my health, I I'm open because I don't want to get in. I don't, I, I think that that silence or for whatever reason, and, and there, there, I'm sure there were some legitimate reasons why things were kept from us or things were said a certain way, but a lot of hurt comes from those things. And 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 I think that you know we all have we all have done things that we shouldn't have, and we all have been in in, in unfortunate situations. And one of the things that I try to do on a daily basis is I try to sit down and say I try not to hurt anybody anymore. And if I can wrong anything that I, if, if, if I have wronged something, I would try to, to correct it. If somebody points it out, say, Hey, you know, you made me feel like this, this at this particular time and I'll correct it. I'll eat humble pie and I'll apologize mm-hmm. and do things. So I try to be different. And, 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 and the thing about it, the, the irony of it, again, more irony when it comes to our family. I, I did, I, I'm the oldest of the three of us and I never knew, I never knew our father. I met our father twice and it was, you know, it, it wasn't in, in the, the best of circumstances, but, you know, I just wish that I could get more to find out. I found certain people that used to hang out with our dad and, and they sit down and say, right now you're just like your daddy, you know, you're this, that, and the other. And which is ironic because I, it obviously genes mean something because <laughs> I didn't know to do it, yeah. but uh, you know, it, it was funny. When, you know, when I did, I, I remember distinctly at, distinctly at 16, I said, man, I've got to go find out about my father because I didn't know why he wasn't in my life. I didn't know if it was something to do with my grandparents, my mother or whatever. So I was trying, I was trying to reach out. And that's when he, I found out that he was actually in Canada. I come to find out, I think he actually made a stop in New York 
he may have seen um, CC. He made, then he came up to Canada and saw you, and, I, and that's where he passed. So here I am, a 16 year old, trying to find some answers and everything else, and, every, and I never got those answers. Um, Uncle Neville, bless his soul, is never, uh, he's, he's never been an uh, outgoing type person and everything else. And when I used to ask him about our dad, you know, he would say, well, you know, he was this, that, but he would never get down into the nitty gritty. Their younger brother, Uncle Mill, we're tight, you know, and everything else. But unfortunate that he was more or less separated from from Ronnie and Neville because of age. So he mm-hmm. never really hung out, and that was just his older brother. So I look at it like this, sir. I can sit down and be mad at the world, mad at the universe that I don't know. I didn't know my father. And sometimes my wife and I talk about it all the time. You know, like, right out, do you really want to, you know, you can find out this. And I think that. I'm at peace and it's kind of like, I don't need that crutch anymore. I don't need to lean on to find out what, you know, what he was like, what he was, I'm, I'm me. And I have a, I have a good relationship with my siblings. I, I love you. I love, I love CC. You and I get together and we're, we're talking for two, two and three hours and we don't <laughs> even realize it, you know, and when we're in the same jurisdiction, like the last time we met in Lake Tahoe, we had a blast. You know, we've, when you was in Canada, we had a blast. You know, it's just everything, every time I'm with you, like, it's just quality time. When CC comes to Bermuda and Kurt uh, comes to Bermuda, we have a blast. So I can't let the legacies of what happened before dictate to where I am now. And all I can do is to just be better and make sure that our, our children know who each other's are. We, we mm-hmm. you know, we have a, a relationship and everything else. And so that's what it's about. It's about love, you know, and, and at the end of the day, it's just trying to be a loving person. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. When, um, so when I first found out about um, you and Cecilia and, you know, other family members, I, I will admit I was, I was really mad. My, um, my relationship with my grandparents at that time was fractured, I'd say for at least two or three years, because I was just so angry that this had been kept from me. And I was like, I've lost like 20 years of not knowing these people or this side of my family. And I didn't know how to fix that. You know, I didn't know how to, mm-hmm. how to, but short of going there, which is why I booked the trip. Cause I was like, well, that's it. It's small enough. I figure if I just, that was literally my plan. I'm just going to go and walk around and talk to people. <laughs> Until I figure mm-hmm. out where my family is. And like mm-hmm. you said, divine intervention as fate would have it. My roommate's boyfriend was from Bermuda, got me the mm-hmm. connection with our uncle, which without that, now I don't know if I would have been successful in, in mm-hmm. finding you. I don't know how else we would have found one another. You could have waited a few more years for Google search. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that's true, right? The, the evolution of the internet would have... Um, yeah, because yeah. Yeah, that was 90s, like early 90s, mm-hmm. mid 90s. So probably eventually we would have found one another because then as soon as I got onto Facebook, that's when I started finding other relatives. They, I'd get messages from people. Are you the Megan from Bermuda? I think I'm your uncle. I think I'm your cousin. Mm-hmm. I think I'm your... Mm-hmm. And it's all been legitimate. So as much as we can <laughs> deride social media, it actually has helped me connect with with even more family members. But since that time, like in having my own children, like so after Richard and I went to Bermuda, got married, had Sandel two years later. And it's funny how a child kind of unites everybody, right? So it mm. was like 
you being uh, her godfather and like mm-hmm. being able to come to Canada and meet more of my family here in Canada, it became, I was able to let, I've come to an understanding, a certain level of understanding and forgiveness for, for what led to, you know, the secrecy and, and hiding things away. I may not agree with, I definitely don't mm-hmm. agree with all those decisions, but at this point, like you said, there's nothing we can do about it except build from here. And mm-hmm. so, and like Cecilia and I kind of talked in our conversation last month, the nature versus nurture thing is really pretty incredible, right? When we meet people who knew our father um, and when they say, oh, you have this look or you have this expression or, oh, your father used to do you know stuff like that. It's really interesting because none of us really grew up with him, Cecilia, mm-hmm. a little bit, um, that we have some of those characteristics, not just looks, but also behaviors. Ironically, I when I was looking at, at the interview that you guys done, uh, one thing like really hit a nerve, the uh, the anti-apartheid thing. Mm. When I was when I was in Chelmsford in London, uh, the in '88, I joined the anti-apartheid group within the college, mm-hmm. and I remember doing marches and having meetings and stuff like that. And I found that like wow three siblings that don't have at you know don't have at that time there was no connection and i mm-hmm. think if i think about the ages like when all of us done it we were about the same age in college so it was kind of like okay it's now at age whatever age i was at that time you have to do it okay cc at this age you have to do it okay megan at this <laughs> age you have to do it. and it was like wow like you know there has to be some bigger thing going on here than just, you know, chance by chance type of thing. And that that just goes to show the type of people where we are. And and it's in it's in our it's in it's in our genes. We can't do nothing about it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I wondered if we could switch over to um, kind of talk about something that's been impacting your life the last 10, 12 years. So the day, I will never forget the day after I moved to San Francisco to start grad school. Like the next morning, and I was like sitting, having my morning coffee or tea or whatever. And you co- kept calling and and I was like, "What's going on?" And you revealed to me that you had received a prostate cancer diagnosis, and mm. my heart just like dropped into my belly. I'm wondering if you would kind of tell us a little bit, whatever you feel comfortable sharing about that time and your journey through. Um, mm diagnosis and and treatment and kind of what's happening now because I know right now a lot of really um positive things have have come out of that experience absolutely um, absolutely mm-hmm. as you know and people that know me I'm, I'm an open book um I I try to if you can learn from any mistakes or anything that I've done I I'm willing to help um so when it came to my health I was always I'm I'm, I'm not a big gym nut I'm not a person that goes around eating grape nuts and has all this type of thing. I I was diagnosed with uh I was diagnosed with diabetes approximately I can't remember, I'm so old now, like I go 60 this year. So that's my that's my new thing. I'm going 60 this year, so I'm allowed to forget stuff. <laughs> so I had been diagnosed uh with uh diabetes uh a few years prior to um to my, my prostate cancer diagnosis. And I was actually diagnosed by uh, my physician in Florida. 
who will come back later on in the story. She um, diagnosed and said, okay, you need to get on this medication, da 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 I was coming back to Bermuda, so I tried to use the prescription. And of course, doctors cannot write prescriptions across borders. So I needed to get a local physician to um, so that I can get on my diabetes, my diabetes journey. So I ended up with uh, this Dr. Hope Gill, who was, um, you know, an elderly man, but he was an elderly doctor, but he was good. And I got on my regimens, I got on my regimens. So every three months I was doing my blood. I was, I changed my diet a little bit. Uh, I actually got involved with a um, dietitian, and she's been my dietitian all these years. She has a, a file like about so big. She always brags about that I'm her 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 number one patient, and I'm doing him the longest and everything. She could tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've I've been fortunate that whenever anything that's happened in my life with regard to my health, I've always had a good under undergirding of of, mm-hmm. of physicians and and people in my life. So, and I, I've always taken my life my my health serious. So. The doctor in, so this is going back to 28, 2008. He took a, he said, look, I was 45 years old. He said, let's just take a, a, a PSA test just to, for, for giggles, so to say, no, just to see what, what it comes out. At that time, the, you didn't start screening for prostate cancer until 50. But because, I'm a, because I was a diabetic and I'm going to be getting, I do bloods quarterly. That's mm-hmm. just tick a box and get a PSA test. So my PSA came back and it was not, it was not above my range. So basically the, the PSA level goes with your age. So it was within tolerance, but it was, it was on the higher level closer to the high. Yeah, it was elevated. So the doctor said, well, let's look at it in six months and see what it looks like then. Uh, Cause PS, the prospect, PSA central prostate specific antigen. And there could be various things that could, um, that could make that go up. If you had like a, a, a hard bowel movement, for example, or you was under a lot of stress or different other things, or, you know, a lot of things can actually impact that reading. So that's just an indicator. It's not, a, it's not something that actually will say that you have or have not, you know, you don't have, unless you have really, really high prostate numbers. So six months time again, we went and checked. It was still within range, but very high. So then he he referred me to a urologist, Dr. Um, Dyer. So I got referred to Dr. Dyer and he says, we're going to do a few things. Uh, what, we don't know what, you know, what's going on, but we're going to basically go on a, on a path, on a journey. So the first thing was the dreaded um, DRE, um, the digital rectal exam with the finger something that most men don't you know they they that's that's one of the biggest things that stops people men from actually um going to doctors and various things like that and that's where the daily meal is coming in a little bit further down the road so i know my sexuality i know i don't i don't have any questions or whatever and if uh uh Forgive me for being blunt, but if a 15-minute job is going to, a five-minute job is going to save my life, like, go for it. 
<laughs> so basically that's what so basically he went in and you know so the engineer in me and that's one thing with cave namaz he didn't say I, I i'm an actually i'm an actually uh i went to study to be an engineer um the engineer in me wants to know how things work why you're doing this and everything so i asked dr Dai, i said doc, doc what are you what are you feeling for and he says okay if you clench your fist and you clench your fist a good prostate feels like the soft part like between your thumb and your, your knuckles. Oh. And if you start feeling nobules, like you're like what you're feeling with your knuckles, uh-huh. then there's it there and that's a potential indication. So they're actually looking to see oh. if it's enlarged or if it's you know spongy and and, okay. and knobbly. So it was like, oh okay, that makes sense. And and again, everything in my life is like I have to I, I knew the specifics of all my medications, I know the specifics on why you do this or why that, because the engineer in me has to know what leads mm-hmm. up to whatever. So anyway, that was, he said it was a little enlarged, but it still was relatively soft. So then we had to do the um, uh, the ultrasound. Silly me, looking, having had children and, and understanding ultrasounds, I'm saying, oh, so you're going to put this thing across my chat, put some jet in. No. It's actually a wand that goes in oh, the, the <laughs> yeah, Ooh. Uh, and it goes to the, the, the rectum. Um, and it's it's a very unpleasant thing to say the least. And uh, it's right now techniques have shown that that's not the way to do it, but that's another that's for another talk show. Okay. Um. Uh. So this ultrasound goes in next and then looks at the prostate, and that came back negative as well. Okay. So they said, okay, your PSA is still high, so let's do a um, a biopsy. So the biopsy was done, and it's basically using the same lovely wand, uh, and it has uh, basically these needles come out, and so it's like a staple. So you're sitting there, and you click, 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 and you're all awake, and so they, they do give you some numbing, um, anesthetization. But it's just not a good feeling and everything else. But anyway, so of the samples, they took 10 samples. Three of the three on of the five on the left side were cancerous and the right side was clear. So Dr. Dyer called myself in. He told me, make sure that you bring your wife. Um, so I went. She so both Sheena and I went. And we that's when I was giving the diagnosis. Uh he said, um, there is nothing to blame, the whatever. And obviously, I didn't know if there was a history of prostate cancer in mm. in the family because of our secrets. And I, I suspect that I suspect that um, one or two of our uncles may have passed from um, or have had prostate issues. And it might even go back to our grandfather. But again, another talk show. Um, mm. So he said, this is what this is what you have to do. So he gave us some literature to read and various other things. And you know, basically, don't blame yourself. There's nothing you could do. It's not like you were smoking and you got lung cancer. It's not that prostate cancer doesn't work like that. So it was devastating to say the least. Um, the best person on earth, the I could have been with was, was Sheena. She's she's been she's been my rock. She understands and she she's she's very pragmatic and her her she's very calming um we had just recently been married 
And, uh, you know, one of the things in reading the literature about um, prostate cancer is that there's a strong possibility that I may end up with permanent erectile dysfunction. Now, I have this young, pretty wife, and I'm just starting a brand new marriage. And, uh, you know, that to me was devastating, you know, because I'm a man. I'm, you know, I mm-hmm. could be with my wife. And it was like, it came down to the point where um, she was like, right now, let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Let's just get you dealt with, get, do what we're going to do, blah, 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 and we'll go on from there. So what happened is there are there are there are various there are various treatments radiation, chemo, uh, radical prostatectomies, um, wait and see. I was only forty five, so it, prostate is not one of those cancers that will actually come and you know you're diagnosed today and you're going to die tomorrow type of thing. So it, it it it's a slow cancer. I was fortunate enough to have caught it in its very early stages. Mm-hmm. So. We did all the research and everything else, and we wanted to go with the uh, the robotic nerve spring um, technique. So the nerve spring part is that the prostate actually is uh, about the size of a walnut, and it has uh, a network of nerves that sit on top of the prostate. prostate. So if the cancer is enclosed into the prostate and doesn't get out to the nerves the nerves is what does blood flow and and helps out with the reference so if you if they get cancer before it gets to the nerves there's a strong possibility that you will actually you know you can get back to regular sexual function okay so all this is going on and we're making all these decisions and everything else and because remember, I said I, I had a, a physician in Florida who actually diagnosed me with um, with um, di- diabetes. She, I said, Doctor Dyer, I want to go to a place where I feel I have a, a doctor that knows me. I don't want to go to most of the 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 most of the people that have any type of procedures off island are usually sent up to Boston, Brigham Young. Uh, Leahy, John Hopkins, and those type of places. Another thing that I'm I'm a relatively I'm a relatively private private person, and I didn't we didn't want to go to Bermuda Central to mm. be going through a prostate journey and say, oh, she, you know, what's that? What you doing up here? Oh, what? Right now, it's got it, and then it will be all over social media, blah, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. So, I said I wanted to go to the Florida area because I had a doctor in Orlando that I was I was happy with. So Dr. Daya found uh, Dr. Patel, who was at Florida Hospital, which is now Advent, which is in a place is called is near Celebration, which is about five miles away from Disney. It's just literally across the okay. interstate. And uh, we ended up doing that and come to find out that that was the, the best decision of my life, simply from the fact, again, the, the universe coming together. This doctor was the doctor that was training multiple doctors to do this procedure. So he was the, it's kind of like the, to, to, to use a vernacular, he's like the prince of, 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 of prostatectomies. Okay. He's like, or the Michael Jackson. He's yeah. the rock star. Everybody knows about this doctor. And I stumbled on him by 
played a chance. The same thing how we how we got to back by saying that I wanted to go to this particular place. Um, we we went there. The hospital was next to a, a, a place called the uh, at the time it was called the Mona Lisa, which is across the parking lot from the hospital. So we used to take golf carts for my my back and forth and everything else. Mm-hmm. The service that was provided by the the cancer institute was the Rolls Royce service, and it was not like I said by chance. It wasn't something that I knew about or whatever. Something that I wanted to go to Orlando, and this is what happened. And this service that we had, we had we had consultations prior to us leaving Bermuda. We had consultations while we were up there. We mm-hmm. had consultations while we uh, we had classes and stuff after. Excuse me. After the surgeries and everything else, it was it was soup to nuts, and it was every step of the way we were mm-hmm. given either information or we can ask questions or everything was like first class. And after the operation, we had to go to a, a class that was called penile rehabilitation. And again, this goes back to what we were talking about prior to us coming on air about uh, when we all knew people that have been in accidents or have had some sort of trauma and they've had to learn how to eat walk and various other things like that so in order to gain the the functions back you need to learn how to get erections and various other things and this doctor had a a a team second to none that did sat down and talked with the patient and the partners on different things about penis pumps viagra and all the rest of these things because it's to learn how to get an erection again it's you have to basically do things just like you go to the gym mm-hmm. to uh do yoga and various things that you have to do these things to be able to it's a muscle so yep. what they want to get you have to work the muscle to use it and ironically i will say this 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 as as a kind of lightening the mood is that <laughs> when we were doing the concerts come one of the consultations with dr patel he looked at my wife and said you know um you have to um you know in order for right out to get back to peak performance, you need to, you know, you need to go like three, four, five times a week. And I looked at him and was like, <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> prescription for That's a prescription. I said, I mean, you see, I didn't say that. You know, that, that's what Dr. Patel said. You know, I, you know, I, I would. I'll be last, but I mean, his scene has got to be more. So anyway, so it was, it's a it's a running joke between she and I. But it's something again, and one of the and and one of the things that we were taught when we first went up to Doctor Patel is that there his goal is to get you back to the same sexual function that you had prior to coming in or mm-hmm. above. So it was like wow, and you know, so all the things that I was worried about in the beginning of the journey that my wife told me put in the background. Mm-hmm. It can't, it got addressed and it got addressed in, in you know four or five times a week. Who's going to argue with that? <laughs> so yeah, so it was you know we we had the operation. We were up at we were up in celebration for about a month. Uh, I had to do a lot of walking. Um, you know, I had the operation around twelve o'clock in the daytime and ten o'clock that night. I was up walking, uh, and and that was part of the procedure because. They used the, uh, it was using uh, this machine called the Da Vinci machine. So basically, it's like a, a video game. The doctors actually got probed, like like five probes, four or five probes in you. And it's actually operating at a screen. So one of the things that they have to do is they they they, they disdain your, your abdomen with um, 
carbon dioxide to blow it up so that they can have room to work. And after they close you up, there's invariably some gas trapped in. Right. And the gas that, you know, the gas that, that to pass that gas, the only way to do it is by physical exercise. So that's why one of the reasons we were walking. I never had any symptoms from prostate cancer. I never had any, any problems, no bladder, bladder problems. None of the, you know, I was fortunate. I caught it mm-hmm. early, but I never, to the, up until the day I had my, my operation, I never had any symptoms. There, I had more pain from trying to pass this gas mm. than anything else. I believe and, it. <laughs> and the thing about it is that, you know, I I, I make a, a, another lighter side. It's like passing that gas was like better than the best sex ever. I cannot tell you. <laughs> Once it came out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you. It's, it was embarrassing because we, we were in the hospital hallways and it was it was crazy. One of the things that, another another funny thing is that my family, we tend to deal with any type of trauma in a, in a jokey way. So we, you know, when we take the children to the hospital and when they were younger and we were going to the hospital, we will be in the emergency room laughing or in the, in the thing laughing and the nurses and doctors come like, what's so funny? What's going? But that's how we, all our children are like that. So when I'm coming out of, of recovery and I'm getting wheeled into, um, the night, the place where we're going to, um, you know, stay that night after the operation, my wife says, I need, um, um, so we came past the sorry it was next to so the recovery ward for the for the men that had the prostate surgery was here and next door was the maternity ward so we oh. got real past the maternity ward and she goes you know so i'm still a little groggy from coming out of surgery and she says honey we had a little girl so again that's just how it is but these are the type of things and 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 like i love my wife's spirit i mean she's she you know i really i'm i'm fortunate to have her in my life she's 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 my rock she's my everything uh you know i've been married two times before she this is her first marriage and i mean she gave give a little so and so like me a char chance after two other people that you know we've been married for 20 years now so mm-hmm. like she's there is no more there is no other and i'm i'm pleased i i'm not i haven't been as fortunate as my my two sisters to have those long-term relationships and finally the right press press but it's ups and downs and everything else but she's great and that prostate journey was was great um i can't say it was great that prostate journey was 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 a learning experience and one of the things that one of the things that that that, that is important when we, when I first was diagnosed, I learned, um, I knew that one of my, one of my colleagues at Cavan Wireless, he had gone through a journey and he came down here and he shared everything with us. He talked mm. about the physical, what, what to expect. He told, talked about the, the, the catheters, the, you know, the recoveries and everything else. And it, it was got, I wouldn't say gruesome, but it was, there it was, it was no, he wasn't filtering no filter. it. Yeah. It wasn't filtered. It was basically, you know, and I appreciated that. Tina appreciated that because we knew what we were getting ourselves into, into and it helped make the decision. Yeah. So going forward now, that's why when I became, you know, when I came home and I became an advocate, a mm-hmm. personal advocate, I had to, I believe in paying it forward. I always give uh, props to, to my, to my partner, um, Norman, Dr. P when I'm, when I talk about, prostate cancer because he's the person that helped me and then i have been that known that that way with everybody else 
I was involved in um, a, a club in Bermuda called North Village um, Community Club. I was I also was involved with um, the Bermuda Public Services Association at the time, which is now the Bermuda Public Services Union. So I have been an advocate for man's health, and and anytime anybody wants to ask any me any question about prostate cancer, I will be there. We ended up forming a group. Um, a few years prior to COVID, we formed a, a prostate, a prostate, a, a prostate awareness Bermuda. Uh, we didn't want to be called prostate cancer Bermuda because there are some issues where men have inflamed or, or, or their, their prostates grow. They don't have prostate cancer. It could be a prelude to prostate cancer, but they're not prostate cancer. Is, is not prostate cancer at that time. So we wanted to make sure that when we named ourselves, it was called prostate awareness, Bermuda, not prostate cancer mm. for that reason. Mm -hmm. So it was basically a think tank where we, uh, uh, where we'll sit down and talk and we'll, we'll talk to brothers, other, other people, other brothers about the journey, various things, because as I told you before, there are various ways of dealing with it. So in our group or everybody in our group, somebody has been to one of those different ways and can mm -hmm. tell you. So if you want to, if you're thinking of going with radiation, for example, we know of someone who's going through radiation and can give you the, the, the darn dirty on what's going to happen and everything else like that. So we were, you know, so we were doing this for quite some time. Then COVID hit. When COVID hit, we actually, um, we, we had a, a WhatsApp chat group and we were doing things, we were doing the same things via WhatsApp chat. So we've actually had some, a few people join the WhatsApp, join our WhatsApp group. My, my current physician has been an advocate and, and has kind of put us out there because she, she knows exactly um, about the prostate, my prostate journey. And if she knows of anyone that any male, she'll point them to me and I'll add them to the group. Or if something happens like the Daily Mail group with Dr. Um, Dr. Macanjula, which is what's going on now, which is like yeah. phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It is taken off in the island. And this is the, the group that... Uh, as you started in in, this, in the intro, that are providing man health screening for free. Um, Bermuda is a very Bermuda is a beautiful place, uh, and in my opinion, you know, there's no beautiful more beautiful place in the world. But it's extremely expensive. The cost of living and insurance and everything else is is really high. With COVID, has made it a little bit uh, more taxing because people are now having to look at whether they're going to be paying their light and gas bills or they're going to be eating or getting medications and various things, particularly those that have single incomes and various mm -hmm. other things. So it, it's been particularly hard. So when I heard about the Daily Mail group, it was something that, you know, I said, yeah, I want to be part of this. And, and this is outside of my prostate awareness group. So I, you know, um, another friend of mine, um, John, and I, we met with Dr. Mack and we started talking and I, and we started talking about his vision and what he sees about it. He's, um, he's an English, he's English. He's married to a Bermudian, uh, a black, um, English, um, urologist. And he sees so much stuff in Bermuda. He's been here since like, I think September and he's touched so many people, not literally, but he's touched so many people no. <laughs> from, uh, um, you know, and, and has inspired. They, the Daily Mail group is is run by a, a group of of ladies, um, and there's too many of them to to mention. But their machinery is awesome. 
they're getting out there. They really care about men. And and Dr. Mack is actually pushing it from a physician point of view. He's getting other doctors to volunteer, other nurses to volunteer. So we're doing these screenings. There have been three this year already. And uh, I was supposed to be for the first, but when, um, you know, they went, uh, John and Dr. Mack went on, on one of the local radio stations and I was supposed to be with them. But I had just, at that time, I had just lost a family member. And that's been another up and down thing since November. We've we've had uh, you know we we're both my wife and I are both fortunate to have like long long um, long life in our family. On I think the twentieth of November, my father-in-law, her mother, her father passed away. Her grandmother would um, her grandmother was a hundred and three would have been a hundred and four on December in on December. I'm not even quoting date because my she'll get mad at me by getting it. But anyway, um, she would have been 104. We were calling at her house to let her know that her son had passed, and the caregiver said she was hysterical and she had passed. So my grand my 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 father my father-in-law and my grandmother-in-law passed on the same day an hour apart. That was heavy for the family. Mm-hmm. Um very, very difficult to 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 deal with. Um, then we had another family member that passed um, just around the Christmas time, just before Christmas. And then I had my grandmother, my my grandmother Bina. Her sister passed a hundred and one, I think. She like she she used to stay like one house, the one house removed from my next door neighbor. So I could actually throw a stone over to her house. She passed on hundred four. She passed on our anniversary, December twenty sixth. So within a period of, and then my uncle, my my mother's, my 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 maternal uncle, my mother's brother, he passed at eighty, oh, 19, 91, 92, Sorry, he passed in February. So we've had all these close people, and of the five, two, three of them, we've actually had to, you know, we've had intimate involvements in the funerals, the passing and all the rest of that type of stuff. So it's been quite taxing from that re- that point of view and, and emotionally stressful. And that's why, you know, I, I say that she is a gem because she's she's just kept on going and everything else. And, you know, she has some moments and everything else. And I try to be there for her and she's been there for me. So it, it's it's we have this 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 symbiotic relationship that is second to none. And, and with, without her, she's helped me to grow even more. Uh, we don't butt heads. We 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 gel together. Mm-hmm. Even we have disagreements. We always have dis. Everybody has disagreements, but we always try to keep the prize in sight. Like what we want to do, we want to keep our relationship together. We talk through things. We communicate mm-hmm. a lot of the things that you you know you can read books about and everything else. But we actually practice those things, and and it works. So, so yeah. Um- I wanted to ask you because I we're moving towards wrapping up. I didn't want to interrupt oh, you. No, sorry, no, no, sorry. no, no. I be, but you went right to what I was going to ask you next was as you're moving into this next stage of your life, because as you said, you're turning 60 this year, you could double your lifespan. When I think about the family members you just listed who were like some of them in their hundreds. Mm-hmm. And I know on my side as, as well, you know, my grandmother that raised me past this past January at the age of 96. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather, who also raised me, uh, passed at 92. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great-grandparents were 88 and 91. <laughs> so on both sides of our family, it seems like long oh, life is in the cards. So mm-hmm. even at turning 60, and I'm moving closer to, to 50, um, how do you see the next stage of your life? Balancing work, play, grandchildren, relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're doing so much community work right now. Like, what is it? What are you kind of aiming for, planning for, wishing for? Yeah, I think, well, turn, I never saw myself as being 60. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, you just don't think, even saying it kind of sounds porn. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I want to get to the point where uh, I'm really liking the philanthropic side of, of, of my life so far. I, I mm-hmm. like helping people. I, I've always, that that's something that's always been a part of me. Uh, with, for example, the Peaksfield Family Connection, when we had the playground that burnt down um, two years ago. And, and, you know, the community came together and it was like, look, we have to do something and everything else. And, you know, they entrusted myself along with our, our, our dynamic group of people, uh, an executive that are second to none. And all of us have other jobs and areas, other things. But we put, we took time out. We were meeting like on a weekly basis and various other things. It took two years for us to get to get the playground equipment in and, and done and dusted. But there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into it. And it was it's so rewarding. Right now, uh, we have a Facebook page. We have, uh, you know, and one of the the the, P- the PRO, uh, another Mrs. Pankler. Actually, I um, her husband is part of the executive, and he's my cousin, mm. uh, our cousin. Sorry, uh, our cousin. It's okay. And <laughs> and, and um, you know, she she's she's a she's a local celebrity. She's actually the uh, international woman of the year for Bermuda. She's, you know, she's a phenomenal person. And I always tell her that she's the engine room behind PXT Family Connection. And um, to see, you know, we got some videos the other day. We have we have another chat group, another WhatsApp chat group. And we have uh, seen videos of one of the local nurseries uh, having sports day up on the field and mm-hmm. stuff like that there. And, and every scene, everybody come together. They, the the local um, H&H Gumbays, they practice on Peaks Field, the North Village Community Club, they do netball training on the field. And to see like the the the, the vibrance and hear the children laughter and everything, I was like, that's what really like warms my heart. Maybe I'm getting old and soft nowadays, but I really, <laughs> I really love to to hear that and and to know that I've done something that can help out the community. And I, and that's one thing about me. I'm I'm always put myself second i've always put myself behind something that me and my wife kind of grapple with from time to time because i'm not the uh, optician i'm not the eye doctor i die i i is we and i i look at you know everything else and it's kind of difficult to be honest for myself to 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 say i i even if it's only me and if i do something i do it from my heart i don't expect anything back i don't do anything to to say okay well if i hook megan up she could hook me up and everything else. Like, you know, if I hook Megan up, she will hook me up and everything else. It's it's a natural thing. Breast is grabbing it. Yep. Little subtle difference. But yes. that that's 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 real. So I'm now getting ready. So 
technically speaking, I can I can I can retire early uh, at sixty, uh, being a government officer. I will have to look at that seriously at sixty five because that's when they start talking. That's when you should retire. Mm. Although there has been a, a provision made in the government to extend that to sixty eight. Um, so you can technically work up to your 68. Um, I still have a mortgage and a few other things that I need to take care of and take mm. care of my family. So I, I I want to, I would like to do some work that helps people. I want to be uh, as helpful. I really get, I really get a lot of kick out. I like technology. I love technology. I'm always poking and prodding in computers mm. or different other things like that. Uh, around the house and everything, I've I've been blessed to 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 work with my hands and doing construction and stuff like doing electric electrician work and various other things. And now with like YouTube, you can actually go and learn how to do things yourself. Yeah, great. I want to I want to be happy. I want to 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 plan a, a nice future with 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 my wife and how many days we have left mm-hmm. after this wine, this this grind we call work and everything else. Mm-hmm. I like to still be helping people. I still like to do things. And maybe I'm at a maybe I'm at a point that maybe this might be a, a career move into getting into uh, helping and everything else. One of the things that Doctor Mac and the Daily Mail are, are looking at is bringing. Uh, one of those um, operating machines in Bermuda. Um, so after going through the fundraising that we did for the Peaks Field, there's a possibility that um, I might join them as far as fundraising and, and get behind that. I would like to be able to bring that Rolls Royce type service that I was fortunate enough and a couple other guys have been fortunate enough to have out of Florida, bring that into Bermuda. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mack has talked to Dr. Patel in Florida and he seems to be on board. So this is like it's it's exciting. So many possibilities. Really, yeah, man. Yeah. There's so many possibilities and everything else. And like I'm not, I I don't, I'm not in it for me. It's not I'm not in it to make millions of dollars or whatever. I just want to be happy, functional, and live a comfortable life and, and be happy. You know, I I mm-hmm. happiness is what it's about. So that's what I that's what I envisage like as I go into my 60s Yeah. I am so, so grateful that, that you are my brother and that you are thriving in this world and you're part of my life and Sheena's life and your kid's life and Bermudian's life. You've done so much over these last um, few years. I've always loved talking to you, but I wanted to to have you on the show so more people could meet you and learn about you and all the good that you're doing. And I think you've shared some really, you know, we were kind of talking a little more offline before this about how talking about prostate cancer or my recent experiences with women's health and, and, and to do with like (laughs) sexual function and like, you know, the quote unquote private areas of the body, it's not always Mm -hmm. the easiest thing for people to talk about. And I think you've made a real difference for a lot of people, just as some others did for you. And talking about something that can be so difficult to acknowledge and is typically thought of as taboo or private, um, you've brought it to the forefront and that is life-saving, right? And talking about these things and so that there isn't this fear associated with, you know, Mm -hmm. what might be an uncomfortable exam, but if this is going to save your life, I think if more people understand the process and what's behind it and what the pre-care is, what the post-care is, 
the more you share this experience, um, like you're doing through the Daily Mail, like you're doing um, personally coming onto this podcast, I really, really hope that people will listen to and watch this um, Mm. episode and that if they are battling prostate cancer or another type of um, invasive, you know, disease in the body that this gives them some, some steps to navigate their, their journey Mm -hmm. resources to reach out. So I just want to thank you so, so much for all you're doing and for coming onto the show and being willing to talk about it. Mostly thank you for being my brother and for, for loving me, no matter what we've always had that kind of, I know that relationship we're the same in that way. Like Mm-hmm. I don't get paid to do this podcast. I do it because I want to have these really cool conversations with people who are doing amazing things in the world and the hopes that it's going to help another person. You never know mm. when I, I get those emails sometimes, you never know how an episode's going to hit. And mm-hmm. then I'll get a message from somebody saying like, you know, this particular guest or someone mentioned this particular thing that made a big difference in someone's life. And I kind of mm. no doubt that that's going to happen with today's episode. So thank you. I- yeah, that's what that's what that's what happens all the time. It's like you know, you talk about things, and then somebody will just hit you up, and we'll. I have no problem with you giving out my informations or whatever. You know, my my numbers and stuff like you know, hit me up on WhatsApp. Um, talk. I I have friends. You know, I talk about it everywhere because if I can touch one person and make a difference in one person's life, that's great. You know, and the more people that we do that, so if I reach you, you reach out to somebody else, and they reach out to somebody else it has that that snowball effect so mm-hmm. by all means i'm 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 i like i said i'm an open book i'm not no angel i'm not the, the you know <laughs> I, you know i i have my i have my shortcomings as well however i do i try and again this is the engineer in me i try to make sure that whatever decisions i make or what i do if i don't have the answers myself i know where i can go to like we have dr mac has actually joined our apostate group and he's mm-hmm. actually providing information real time up to date information on the latest greatest techniques and various other things like that so it's like this is what it, this is what it's about and bringing that awareness out and, and men not having someone that they can talk to like not wanting to prolong it anymore but when i went to the last clinic there was a, a gentleman that was you know he was on the fence on which way he wanted to go type of thing and dr mack had asked me to have a word with him and uh, you know, talk about my experience and what's happening and answer some questions. And it made a difference in his life. Mm-hmm. You you don't know, you know, hearing all the medical thing. One thing, Dr. Mac, Dr. Mac has a good bedside mannerism. He's a good approachable type of dude. He's a guy that, you know, you know, you can walk up and have a beer with, or you can sit down and talk about all the medical stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's good in that I get, but in talking to people, he's coming in talking to men. He's talking from the primarily from the medical point of view. This is what's happening, blah, 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 blah. But hearing it from someone who's a, who's who's a survivor, who's actually going on and going through it. And as I say, with my group, with the group, our group, sorry, we have all the different, all the different variations or whatever. So whatever route mm-hmm. you decide to take, I can put you with someone who could tell you the goods, bears, the ins and outs, and everything else. And and normally there are two or three different people because unfortunately. There's no standard. There's no, there's no way of saying like your experience is different than uh, you could have the same procedure and have two or three different procedures, two, three, two or three different outcomes. And that's sad. It, it really is sad because some, some of the stuff is unavoidable. There's always that one in the, one in so many chances that right. you might be the, 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 the check, but 
ninety percent, if if given all the information and what to ask, and and again, when we get when when we find out that somebody has that prostate cancer, make sure you ask about this, ask about that, make sure that you take control of your life. You do this. You if you don't feel comfortable change a doctor, get another opinion, those type of things. And just having men talk to men makes a big difference rather than hearing it from a guy in a white coat all the time. And that's why, yeah. like I it's said, I human, have no problem. With- the human experience and the human connection, right? On all mm-hmm. those different levels. Mm-hmm. So what we should do, so listeners, if you want to get in touch with uh, Rydell or the groups that he's involved with, I'm going to connect with him after the show. If there's any links we can put in the show notes, where you can maybe find the Daily Mail online or links to the WhatsApp group. We'll figure it out and I'll I'll post it in the show notes. If you still have questions, please just email me myyogaaudio at gmail.com and I will get you connected with Rydell and the groups um, that he's working with. Does that sound good to you, Rydell? Great. You think? Great. Yeah? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, wonderful. Well, I want to wrap. Well, I don't want to wrap for today. <laughs> I want to. We can keep we can chatting for hours and hours, as we always do. <laughs> I know it's the best part. So, thank you to everyone who is listening and has um, come through this episode with us. I want to ask you a favor to please share this episode directly with somebody that um, you think they need this conversation, they need this information, they need this inspiration. Yes, Rydell is my brother, but he's also a survivor and he's giving back to his community in the form of information and personal connection. And that's what this podcast is all about. And Spotify has told me that um, something like 30% of our listeners share episodes directly through text or email um, when they hear something, right, that really appeals to them. So I hope this is your opportunity to do that and make a difference in someone's life. And so we will close out for today because here at My Yoga Audio, we say it's always a great time for your mind to be or your body to be on the mat wherever you are. So whatever your form of yoga is, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, this is the time for you to connect with that inner self and that higher self and decide what this information is revealing to you today and who you may or may not need to share it with. So until next time, when we have another guest, a meditation, or a book reading, I hope you'll come back to past episodes and catch up on any episodes that you might have missed. And we will sign off for now. And everybody, take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time.